Chapter 11, Part 2 of The Quest of the Historical Jesus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer, translated by William Montgomery. Chapter 11, Part 2 Bruno Bauer. We must take as our point of departure the belief in the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything else attaches itself to this as to its center. When the need arose to fix definitively the beginning of the manifestation of Jesus as the Savior, to determine the point of time at which the Lord issued forth from obscurity, it was natural to connect this with the work of the Baptist, and Jesus comes to his baptism. While this is sufficient for the earliest evangelist, Matthew and Luke feel it to be necessary, in view of the important consequences involved in the connection of Jesus with the Baptist, to bring them into relation once more by means of the question addressed by the Baptist to Jesus, although this addition is quite inconsistent with the assumptions of the earliest evangelist. If he had conceived the story of the baptism with the idea of introducing the Baptist again on a later occasion, and this time, moreover, as a doubter, he would have given it a different form. This is a just observation of Bowers. The story of the baptism with the miracle which took place at it, and the Baptist's question, understood as implying a doubt of the messiahship of Jesus, mutually exclude one another. The story of the temptation embodies an experience of the early church. This narrative represents her inner conflicts under the form of a conflict of the Redeemer. On her march through the wilderness of this world, she has to fight with temptations of the devil, and in the story composed by Mark and Luke, and artistically finished by Matthew, she records a vow to build only on the inner strength of her constitutive principle. In the Sermon on the Mount also, Matthew has carried out with greater completeness that which was more vaguely conceived by Luke. It is only when we understand the words of Jesus as embodying experiences of the early church that their deeper sense becomes clear, and what would otherwise seem offensive disappears. The saying, Let the dead bury their dead, would not have been fitting for Jesus to speak, and had he been a real man, it could never have entered into his mind to create so unreal and cruel a collision of duties for no command, divine or human, could have sufficed to make it right for a man to contravene the ethical obligations of family life. So here again, the obvious conclusion is that the saying originated in the early church, and was intended to inculcate renunciation of a world which was felt to belong to the kingdom of the dead, and to illustrate this by an extreme example. The mission of the twelve, too, is, as an historical occurrence, simply inconceivable. It would have been different if Jesus had given them a definite teaching, or form of belief, or positive conception of any kind, to take with them as their message. But how ill the charge to the twelve fulfills its purpose as a discourse of instruction! What the disciples needed to learn, namely, what and how they were to teach, they are not told and the discourse which Matthew has composed, working on the basis of Luke, implies quite a different set of circumstances. It is concerned with the struggles of the church with the world, 
and the sufferings which it must endure. This is the explanation of the references to suffering which constantly recur in the discourses of Jesus, in spite of the fact that his disciples were not enduring any sufferings, and that the evangelist cannot even make it conceivable as a possibility, that those before whose eyes Jesus holds up the way of the cross could ever come to such a position. The twelve, at any rate, had no sufferings to encounter during their mission, and if they were merely being sent by Jesus into the surrounding districts, they were not very likely to meet with kings and rulers there. That it is a case of invented history is also shown by the fact that nothing is said about the doings of the disciples, and they seem to come back again immediately, though the earliest evangelist, it is true, to prevent this from being too apparent, inserts at this point the story of the execution of the Baptist. All this is just and acute criticism. The charge to the twelve is not a discourse of instruction. What Jesus there sets before the disciples, they could not at that time have understood, and the promises which he makes to them are not appropriate to their circumstances. Many of the discourses are mere bundles of heterogeneous sayings, though this is not so much the case in Mark as in the others. He has not forgotten that effective polemic consists of short, pointed, incisive arguments. The others, as advanced theologians, are of opinion that it is fitting to indulge in arguments which have nothing to do with the matter in hand, or only the most distant connection with it. They form the transition to the discourses of the fourth gospel, which usually degenerate into an aimless wrangle. In the same connection, it is rightly observed that the discourses of Jesus do not advance from point to point by the logical development of an idea. The thoughts are merely strummed together one after another, the only connection, if connection there is, being due to a kind of conventional mold in which the discourse is cast. The parables, Bauer continues, present difficulties no less great. It is an ineptitude on the part of the apologists to suggest that the parables are intended to make things clear. Jesus himself contradicts this view by saying bluntly and unambiguously to his disciples that to them it was given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the people all his teachings must be spoken as parables that, quote, they might see and not perceive, and hearing they might hear and not understand, close quote. The parables were therefore intended only to exercise the intelligence of the disciples, and so far from being understood by the people, mystified and repelled them, as if it would not have been much better to exercise the minds of the disciples in this way when he was alone with them. The disciples, however, do not even understand the simple parable of the sower, but need to have it interpreted to them, so that the evangelist once more stultifies his own theory. Bruno Bauer is right in his observation that the parables offer a serious problem, seeing that they were intended to conceal and not to make plain, and that Jesus nevertheless taught only in parables. The character of the difficulty, however, is such that even literary criticism has no explanation ready. Bruno Bauer admits that he does not know what was in the mind of the evangelist when he composed these parables and thinks that he had no very definite purpose, or at least that the suggestions which were floating in his mind were not worked up into a clearly ordered whole. 
Here, therefore, Bauer's method broke down. He did not, however, allow this to shake his confidence in the reading of the facts, and he continued to maintain it in the face of a new difficulty which he himself brought clearly to light. Mark, according to him, is an artistic unity, the offspring of a single mind. How, then, is it to be explained that, in addition to other less important doublets, it contains two accounts of the feeding of the multitude? Here, Bauer has recourse to the aid of Vilke, who distinguishes our Mark from an Ur Marcus, and ascribes these doublets to later interpolation. Footnote. We retain the German phrase Ur Marcus, which has naturalized itself in synoptic criticism, as the designation of an assumed primary gospel lying behind the canonical Mark. End footnote. Later on, he became more and more doubtful about the artistic unity of Mark, despite the fact that this was the fundamental assumption of his theory. And in the second edition of his Criticism of the Gospels of 1851, he carried through the distinction between the canonical Mark and the Ur Marcus. But even supposing the assumption of a redaction were justified, how could the redactor have conceived the idea of adding to the first account of the feeding of the multitude a second which is identical with it almost to the very wording. In any case, on what principle can Mark be distinguished from Ur Marcus? There are no fundamental differences to afford a ready criterion. The distinction is purely one of subjective feeling, that is to say, it is arbitrary. As soon as Bauer admits that the artistic unity of Mark, on which he lays so much stress, has been tampered with, he cannot maintain his position except by shutting his eyes to the fact that it can only be a question of the weaving in of fragments of tradition, not of the inventions of an imitator. But if he once admits the presence of traditional materials, his whole theory of the earliest evangelists having created the gospel falls to the ground. For the moment, he succeeds in laying the spectre again, and continues to think of Mark as a work of art in which the interpolation alters nothing. Bauer discusses with great thoroughness those sayings of Jesus in which he forbids those whom he had healed to noise abroad their cure. In the form in which they appear, these cannot, he argues, be historical, for Jesus imposes this prohibition in some cases where it is quite meaningless, since the healing had taken place in the presence of a multitude, it must, therefore, be derived from the evangelist. Only when it is recognized as a free creation can its meaning be discerned. It finds its explanation in the inconsistent views regarding miracle which were held side by side in the early church. No doubt was felt that Jesus had performed miracles, and by these miracles had given evidence of his divine mission. On the other hand, by the introduction of the Christian principle, the Jewish demand for a sign had been so far limited, and, on the other, the spiritual line of evidence had become so important, or at least so indispensable, that it was no longer possible to build on the miracles only, or to regard Jesus merely as a wonder-worker. So, in some way or other, the importance ascribed to miracle must be reduced. In the graphic symbolism of the gospel history, this antithesis takes the form that Jesus did miracles, 
there was no getting away from that but on the other hand himself declared that he did not wish to lay any stress upon such acts as there are times when miracles must hide their light under a bushel jesus on occasion forbids that they should be made known the other synoptists no longer understood this theory of the first evangelist and introduced the prohibition in passages where it was absurd the way in which jesus makes known his messiahship is based on another theory of the original evangelist the order of mark can give us no information regarding the chronology of the life of jesus since this gospel is anything rather than a chronicle we cannot even assert that there is a deliberate logic in the way in which the sections are connected but there is one fundamental principle of arrangement which comes quite clearly to light viz that it was only at caesarea philippi in the closing period of his life that jesus made himself known as the messiah and that therefore he was not previously held to be so either by his disciples or by the people this is clearly shown in the answers of the disciples when jesus asked them whom men took him to be the implied course of events however is determined by art not history as history it would be inconceivable could there indeed be a more absurd impossibility says bauer quote, jesus must perform these innumerable these astounding miracles because according to the view which the gospels represent he is the messiah he must perform them in order to prove himself to be the messiah and yet no one recognizes him as the messiah that is the greatest miracle of all that the people had not long ago recognized the messiah in this wonder-worker jesus could only be held to be the messiah in consequence of doing miracles but he only began to do miracles when in the faith of the early church he rose from the dead as messiah and the facts that he rose as messiah and that he did miracles are one and the same fact mark however represents a jesus who does miracles and who nevertheless does not thereby reveal himself to be the messiah he was obliged so to represent him because he was conscious that jesus was not recognized and acknowledged as messiah by the people or even by his immediate followers in the unhesitating fashion in which those of later times imagined him to have been recognized mark's conception and representation of the matter carried back into the past the later developments by which there finally arose a christian community for which jesus had become the messiah Quote, mark is also influenced by an artistic instinct which leads him to develop the main interest the origin of the faith gradually it is only after the ministry of jesus has extended over a considerable period and is indeed drawing towards its close that faith arises in the circle of the disciples and it is only later still when in the person of the blind man at jericho a prototype of the great company of believers that was to be has hailed the lord with messianic salutation that at the triumphal entry into jerusalem the faith of the people suddenly ripens and finds expression it is true this artistic design is completely marred when jesus does miracles which must have made him known to every child as the messiah we cannot therefore blame matthew very much if while he retains this plan in the external outlines in a kind of mechanical way 
he contradicts it somewhat awkwardly by making jesus at an earlier point clearly designate himself as messiah and many recognize him as such and the fourth evangelist cannot be said to be destroying any very wonderful work of art when he gives the impression that from the very first any one who wished could recognize jesus as the messiah mark himself does not keep strictly to his own plan he makes jesus forbid his disciples to make known his messiahship how then does the multitude at jerusalem recognize it so suddenly after a single miracle which they had not even witnessed and which was in no way different from others which he had done before if that chance multitude in jerusalem was capable of such sudden enlightenment it must have fallen from heaven the following remarks of bauer too are nothing less than classical the incident at caesarea philippi is the central fact of the gospel history it gives us a fixed point from which to group and criticize the other statements of the gospel at the same time it introduces a complication into the plan of the life of jesus because it necessitates the carrying through of the theory often in the face of the text that previously jesus had never been regarded as the messiah and lays upon us the necessity of showing not only how peter had come to recognize his messiahship but also how he subsequently became messiah for the multitude if indeed he ever did become messiah for them but the very fact that it does introduce this complication is in itself a proof that in this scene at caesarea philippi we have the one ray of light which history sheds upon the life of jesus it is impossible to explain how any one could come to reject the simple and natural idea that jesus claimed from the first to be the messiah if that had been the fact and accept this complicated representation in its place the latter therefore must be the original version in pointing this out bauer gave for the first time the real proof from internal evidence of the priority of mark the difficulty involved in the conception of miracle as a proof of the messiahship of jesus is another discovery of bauer's only here instead of probing the question to the bottom he stops halfway how do we know he should have gone on to ask that the messiah was expected to appear as an earthly wonder-worker there is nothing to that effect in jewish writings and do not the gospels themselves prove that any one might do miracles without suggesting to a single person the idea that he might be the messiah accordingly the only inference to be drawn from the markan representation is that miracles were not among the characteristic marks of the messiah and that it was only later in the christian community which made jesus the miracle worker into jesus the messiah that this connection between miracles and messiahship was established in dealing with the question of the triumphal entry too bauer halts halfway where do we read that jesus was hailed as messiah upon that occasion if he had been taken by the people to be the messiah the controversy in jerusalem must have turned on this personal question but it did not even touch upon it and the sanhedrin never thinks of setting up witnesses to jesus claim to be the messiah when once bauer had exposed the historical and literary impossibility of jesus being hailed by the people as messiah he ought to have gone on to draw the conclusion that jesus did not according to mark make a messianic entry into jerusalem 
it was however a remarkable achievement on bauer's part to have thus set forth clearly the historical difficulties of the life of jesus one might suppose that between the work of strauss and that of bauer there lay not five but fifty years the critical work of a whole generation the stereotyped character of the thrice repeated prediction of the passion which according to bauer betrays a certain poverty and feebleness of imagination on the part of the earliest evangelist shows clearly he thinks the unhistorical character of the utterance recorded the fact that the prediction occurs three times its definitiveness increasing upon each occasion proves its literary origin it is the same with the transfiguration the group in which the heroic representatives of the law and the prophets stand as supporters of the saviour was modelled by the earliest evangelist in order to place it in the proper light and to give becoming splendour to its great subject he has introduced a number of traits taken from the story of moses bauer pitilessly exposes the difficulties of the journey of jesus from galilee to jerusalem and exults over the perplexities of the apologists he says quote, the theologian must not boggle at this journey he must just believe it he must in faith follow the footsteps of his lord through the midst of galilee and samaria and at the same time for matthew also claims a hearing through judea on the other side of the jordan i wish him bon voyage the eschatological discourses are not history but merely an expansion of those explanations of the sufferings of the church of which we have had a previous example in the charge to the twelve an evangelist who wrote before the destruction of jerusalem would have referred to the temple to jerusalem and to the jewish people in a very different way the story of lazarus deserves special attention did not spinoza say that he would break his system in pieces if he could be convinced of the reality of this event this is the decisive point for the question of the relation between the synoptists and john vain are all the efforts of the apologists to explain why the synoptists do not mention this miracle the reason they ignore it is that it originated after their time in the mind of the fourth evangelist and they were unacquainted with this gospel and yet it is the most valuable of all because it shows clearly the concentric circles of progressive intensification by which the development of the gospel history proceeds remarks bauer quote, the fourth gospel represents a dead man as having been restored to life after having been four days under the power of death and having consequently become a prey to corruption luke represents the young man at nain as being restored to life when his body was being carried to the grave mark the earliest evangelist can only tell us of the restoration of a dead person who had the moment before succumbed to an illness the theologians have a great deal to say about the contrast between the canonical and the apocryphal writings but they might have found a similar contrast even within the four gospels if the light had not been so directly in their eyes the treachery of judas as described in the gospels is inexplicable the lord's supper considered as an historic scene is revolting and inconceivable jesus can no more have instituted it than he can have uttered the saying let the dead bury their dead in both cases 
the objectionableness arises from the fact that a tenet of the early church has been cast into the form of an historical saying of jesus a man who was present in person corporeally present could not entertain the idea of offering others his flesh and blood to eat to demand from others that they should while he was actually present imagine the bread and wine which they were eating to be his body and blood would be for an actual man wholly impossible it was only when jesus's actual bodily presence had been removed and only when the christian community had existed for some time that such a conception as is expressed in that formula could have arisen a point which clearly betrays the later composition of the narrative is that the lord does not turn to the disciples sitting with him at the table and say this is my blood which is shed for you but since the words were invented by the early church speaks of the many for whom he gives himself the only historical fact is that the jewish passover was gradually transformed by the christian community into a feast which had reference to jesus as regards the scene in gethsemane mark according to bauer held it necessary that in the moment when the last conflict and final catastrophe were coming upon jesus he should show clearly by his actions that he met this fate of his own free will the reality of his choice could only be made clear by showing him first engaged in an inner struggle against the acceptance of his vocation before showing how he freely submitted to his fate the last words ascribed to jesus by mark my god my god why hast thou forsaken me were written without thinking of the inferences which might be drawn from them merely with the purpose of showing that even to the last moment of his passion jesus fulfilled the role of the messiah the picture of whose sufferings had been revealed to the psalmist so long beforehand by the holy spirit it is scarcely necessary now bauer thinks to go into the contradictions in the story of the resurrection for quote, the doughty rimaris with his thoroughgoing honesty has already fully exposed them and no one has refuted him Close quote. the results of bauer's analysis may be summed up as follows the fourth evangelist has betrayed the secret of the original gospel namely that it too can be explained on purely literary grounds cries bauer mark has quote, loosed us from the theological lie thanks to the kindly fate which has preserved to us this writing of mark by which we have been delivered from the web of deceit of this hellish pseudoscience Close quote. in order to tear this web of falsehood the critic and historian must despite his repugnance once more take up the pretended arguments of the theologian in favor of the historicity of the gospel narratives and set them on their feet only to knock them down again in the end bauer's only feeling towards the theologians is one of contempt he declares quote, the expression of his contempt is the last weapon which the critic after refuting the arguments of the theologian has at his disposal for their discomfiture it is his right to use it that puts the finishing touch upon his task and points forward to the happy time when the arguments of the theologians shall no more be heard of. Close quote. 
these outbreaks of bitterness are to be explained by the feeling of repulsion which german apologetic theology inspired in every genuinely honest and thoughtful man by the methods which it adopted in opposing strauss hence the fiendish joy with which he snatches away the crutches of this pseudo-science hurls them to a distance and makes merry over its helplessness a furious hatred a fierce desire to strip the theologians absolutely bare carried bauer much farther than his critical acumen would have led him in cold blood End of chapter eleven part two